Hello and welcome everyone to our family, old and new. We're so glad to have you with us. We're grateful that, and love that you've chosen to worship our God together with us in the service. It's a blessing to know God. It's a blessing to be known by God. And, and as we do this life together, it's such a blessing to know that we are doing and partnering with God to, to do that kingdom work together. Uh, we will be continuing our remembrance series this day. We are Still in the Old Testament portion, uh, this is the first part of the series. We'll pick it up again later in the spring as we look at the New Testament portion. Uh, this Remembrance series has been kind of looking back at our lives and looking in Scripture and how in both our lives and, and in Scripture, God calls us to remember. God calls God's people to remember. Um, now, we are finding that this is because that we, as we go through this life, is we find it very quick to forget. We find it very easy to forget. And, and, and the call to remember reminds us that God is here, that God is present with us, that God is in it with us. We are also quick to, to look around or, or, or to look down at ourselves and, and what we're struggling to, but this call to remember not only reminds us that we need to look back at how God's been good, at God's faithfulness, God's mercy, God's love, God's compassion, but to also always look up. Because as we look back on God's faithfulness, mercy, and love, and compassion, and we look up to God, we will see that God is working, God is leading, God is fighting for us on our behalf. The call to remember in life and in scripture is balanced with our God who wants to be known. God wants to be known, and in remembering God, we remember that not only does God want to be known, but God knows us. Now to answer some of these uh, basic questions about how we are to remember, we've kind of used kind of the inter, um, just the questions, the interrogative questions I was going to say, but just the basic questions that we have, you know, who, what, when, why, how. First, we begin with remember who I am, where Yahweh introduces himself at the, at, the, at the burning bush and says, I am the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. I am the God who's with you. Then we remembered Abraham and where God says, remember what I have done. I prepared you for this moment. I prepared you through your ancestors for this moment. I have called you to do this thing. Then we remembered when God has saved, not only the covenant, not only the, the flood and saving Noah and his family through the ark, but this covenant where God says, I am pledging my loyalty, my love to you forever as my people. Then we remember why God saved us. And that was simply because God has chosen to love us, that God sees us as the, the, the pinnacle of all creation, that God chose us to be made in his image, that God loves us as a treasured, as God's treasured possession. And then today, we look at God saying, remember where I have saved you. We will join Israel at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea for us will be a bridge with Egypt at the back of us in full pursuit with the promised land ahead of us. And at this bridge, we'll see that the Red Sea becomes a marker of God's power, of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's loyalty to the people. And as we go through this, this sermon this morning, I want you to think about and remember where God has saved you. Because you see, at the Red Sea, God builds a foundation with Israel forever. 
the remember who I am in the burning bush, the call of Abram, the covenant to Noah, the, the choosing them as a treasure possession have all been stones that were gathered to build this foundation that happens at the Red Sea. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. I'll be reading the first 14 verses, Exodus 14, 1 to 14. But before we get into the scripture, I'd just like to invite us to just take a moment to pray together. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory. For you are indeed the God who meets us where we are. God, you meet us at the Red Sea. That even with enemies chasing us down, even with a promised land not yet touchable by land or not just touchable or, or, or not, not even reachable to us sometimes, just in front of us, God, you meet us there to save us and to take us where you are and where you desire us to be. We thank you for our Red Seas and we thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are the God who's not only with us and in it with us, but you're the God who fights for us. In your son's name we pray, amen. In Exodus 14, I'll start the reading of verse 1. Exodus 14, 1 to 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Bel Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Haheroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, I have to admit that when I first heard this story as a, as a child, it was just a celebration. You know, the, the Israelites were enslaved and, and the God who's the deliverer and the redeemer comes into Egypt and, 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 and takes them out of Egypt. And, and there were plagues along the way, but God kept showing power, power, power. And then they come to the Red Sea. He, he, he parts the Red Sea and they go through and it's amazing. As I thought more about it this week, I realized there's two songs that actually probably framed my thinking of this Exodus narrative. 
The first one was one that I grew up singing. I think it was like a Sunday school chorus, and, and we sang it at summer camp, and, and we got super excited, right? Now, you have to forgive me. I can't sing very well, but I think this is how it goes, you know? We sing, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. And then we as kids were so excited, we go, splash, splash, you know? And, and, and that was the whole point of the song for me, you know? It was a point of celebration. God had conquered. But then when I started thinking about it as I got older, and I'm just like, well, that's a lot of Egyptians that just died. And, and I'm not sure if, if the splish splash is, is the right response. You know, but there's another song that probably had an even more lasting impact of my understanding of what happens in the Exodus story, of my understanding of why this is so foundational to Israel as God's people. It's an old Negro spiritual it's one that, that we don't have a, a known author, but it's one that was saying for generations of enslaved people. And that one, you know, I'm not Paul Robeson or, or Louis Armstrong, so I don't have like that, that great, great baritone voice. But it's a song that basically went, go down, go down, Moses, Moses, way down, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. And this song it kind of introduces you maybe to what these spirituals were. Because these old spirituals were developed by these enslaved people and they provide such a treasure trove for us and our faith. Now, now some people in some quarters will praise the, the musicality of these spirituals and they'll point out how anything that can really be considered uh, American music is really just black music, whether it's the gospel or the blues or, or rock or jazz or, or much of modern music, they have birth in these spirituals. But they also point back to the African story because as people were enslaved and captured in their own lands, they would sing songs to help them remember where they were from. Or as they were separated from friends and family, they would sing songs in their native languages to try to find out who they were and who's with them. They would sing these songs to help them stay in their right mind. And as these songs, and this rich uh, tradition that morphs into these old spirituals, so yes, we can praise the musicality of it, but we also have to remember the history behind it but more than the musicality of the spirituals, more than, than the history of the spirituals, we must never forget the rich theology of these spirituals. Because for the first time, maybe in American theology, you had enslaved peoples who would help us to see that God cares about body and soul, that the body and soul go together. These spirituals were not just enslaved people wishing for a world to come. It was not just people wishing or, or trying to ignore the hell that was slavery to them. It was the reality they faced of this is where we are now and God our deliverer, God our redeemer, God our savior cares for body and soul. This was a people who were told that don't worry about your body, it belongs to your master. Don't worry about your body. God cares and will save your soul. These are people who said, no, 
We went to the Red Sea. We heard about what God did in Egypt. We heard what God did for people in slavery. And we know that God's justice can come today. We know that God cares about our soul, yes, but God also cares about our body. And God can redeem and deliver and save our body and our soul. What a rich tradition we have to draw upon from these saints of old who help us see that God rejected the oppressors. That God does not side with the slaveholders, which is what people try to teach them in the faith. And they said, no, 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 no. We go back to Egypt. We go back to the Red Sea. And we know that God always rejects the oppressors and sides with the marginalized and sides with the oppressed. Now, some people would hear these spirituals and they would say, man, it sounds heavenly. Look at them praising their God. But because it was also about body and soul, it was also about heaven, but also earth. Because it was praise and reliance on God, yes. But a lot of these songs were also directions to freedom. Follow the drinking gourd was a direction up north to freedom. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus was a direction to freedom. Wade in the water, wade in the water, children. God's going to trouble the water. Shake off that water, shake off that smell so those dog catchers can't smell you and catch you. These spirituals were about heaven and earth. It was about praising and relying on God but they were also about direction to freedom. Frederick Douglass once wrote, a keen observer might have detected in our repeated singing of, O Canaan, sweet Canaan, I am bound for that land of Canaan. Something more than a hope reaching heaven. We meant to reach the north, and the north was our Canaan, our promised land. I thought I heard them say, there were lions in the way. I don't expect to stay much longer here. It was a favorite air and had this double meaning. In the lips of some, it meant the expectation of a speedy summons to a world of spirits. But in the lips of our company, it simply meant a speedy pilgrimage toward a free state and deliverance from all the evils and dangers of slavery. The song I butchered earlier, Go Down Moses, was another one. In fact, Harriet Tubman was considered and called the Black Moses. And this song itself was saying, go down, Harriet. Go down way into Egypt's land. Go into the south. Tell those slaveholders to let my people go. The spirituals then provide for us a great testimony and a great witness. A great testimony at the work God was doing and a great witness that God is with the oppressed. That God is with the enslaved. That God is not with the power, but with those who are suffering under that power. Author and theologian Kelly Brown Douglas sums it up like this. In the spirituals, crafted during the time of enslavement, you begin to find the early theology, their testimonies of faith. We find the understanding of God who is on the side of the oppressed. They always equated salvation with liberation on earth. There are coded messages. Canaan was going north to freedom, for example. Freedom and liberation are manifest in history so that salvation is the justice of God on earth. Salvation is the justice of God on earth. 
The double message of the spiritual is always about body and soul. The spirituals are a window into how black people navigated the reality of oppression. These spirituals provide great testimony and witness of what God was doing about who God is. And that's why our enslaved ancestors held on to them and sang them and kept singing them for generations. Because in the Exodus, they realized this is not just a Sunday school story. This is not just one of those ones that you breeze through and move on to the next chapter. They realize that the Exodus is the story, the decisive event. Writer James Cone and theologian says this, the Exodus was the decisive event in Israel's history because through it, Yahweh was revealed as the savior of an oppressed people. Another theologian, Andrew Prevot, poses it like this. Exodus is basis of the Sinai covenant, what you know as the Ten Commandments. It is a constant point of reference in the biblical prophets, denunciation of social injustice and proclamation of God's ongoing involvement with God's people. The Exodus is not just a story. What we read in Exodus 14 is the foundation of a God who says, I am with you. I am with you always. I will fight for you. That's why the Exodus is so important. When we get to chapter 14, we got to do a little bit of groundwork here to catch everybody up to date. See, it had been 400 years since Joseph had been second in power in Egypt. The Israelites had, had fulfilled God's role. And remember that call to not just Adam, but Noah in the covenant. Be fruitful and multiply. And boy, did they multiply. And some of the Egyptians saw them and said, hey, Pharaoh, new Pharaoh, if an enemy were to attack us, look how many of them there are. Look how many of them there are, and they would side with our enemy, and we would lose our land. It's amazing to me how throughout history, we have had the power to oppress one another from simple fear. We have had the power to enslave, to torture, to dehumanize one another, all in efforts to hold on to what we think was ours. And that's what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh brutally enslaves. And, and, and because of this power and seeing the world as he wanted to see it, Pharaoh starts creating a world in his image. And this world says, if the Israelites keep growing, we need to stop. So Pharaoh orders that the Israelite boys would be drowned. And after 400 years... Yahweh responds to the cries of the people. Yahweh shows up in a burning bush. Moses, one of those Hebrew baby boys that was supposed to be drowned, that was saved by midwives like Shepra and Pua, that was saved by his mother Jochebed and his sister Miriam. Moses, who grows up in the palace because of rising up and striking the Egyptian, is now on the run and in the wilderness for 40 years, and God shows up in a burning bush 
and says, go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land. Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. And you have God versus Pharaoh in so many different ways. God sends these plagues on Egypt and they prove all these Egyptian gods are inferior to Yahweh. God shows power over not only nature, but over all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the known world at the time. And you have these plagues of God's superiority over Egypt's gods, but you also have this interplay where Pharaoh chooses, or Pharaoh continues to harden his heart against the people of God. And then the second half of the plagues where God then allows Pharaoh, and God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart too. It's almost like God knew Pharaoh would resist, yet God still tried to offer grace. God knew that Pharaoh wouldn't want to lose free labor, and God still chose to give Pharaoh grace until he couldn't give anymore because Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And then you have this scene that is still celebrated by Jewish people thousands of years over with the Passover, (laughs) where Israel's sons had been killed by Pharaoh. Now you're going to have this plague where God says you're going to take a lamb, a spotless, unblemished lamb. You're going to slaughter that lamb, and you're going to take the blood and put it on your doorposts, and God will pass over you. And in that Passover, with Egypt losing her sons as Israel had lost her sons, Pharaoh finally says, you know what, Israel? It's time for you to go. We have lost too much. It's time for you to be on your way. And the Israelites leave. It's something I learned a a, a while back. It wasn't just Israelites and Jewish people who left. Because in Exodus 12, you find that there's many other people who left with them. So in the very beginning, we learned that God's people... Even Israel, as we think of it, is a multicultural kingdom because Egypt is still in Africa. And as far as we know, um, the, the Arabs from the Middle East hadn't yet come down to Egypt. So there's a good chance that who left and who was Israel or who became Israel is this multicultural kingdom. And I also think it's interesting that Egypt was so ready for them to go that they paid them reparations. I think it's interesting that Israel, literally the scripture says, Israel plundered Egypt. Egypt was so done with Israel, they just gave them stuff and told them to be on their way. And that all made sense. And as they marched to the promised land, Pharaoh's heart hardens again. And Pharaoh decides, no, I am not willing to let my free labor go. No, I'm not willing to let them leave with all these riches of Egypt. No, they are under me. I am Pharaoh. So Pharaoh chases after Israel. And the final showdown that Pharaoh wants actually leads to Pharaoh's destruction. As the horse and riders come down and and go into the sea, God, who had separated the seas, Israel, that had marched through the waters, was now on the other side of the promised land. And as the seas closed down, 
the horse and rider of Egypt all drowned. And I think this interesting that this Red Sea, this Red Sea crossing, becomes a reminder of where God saved. And I think it's interesting, as Prevot points out, that this Red Sea, the exodus from Egypt, becomes the basis of law between God and his people, becomes the reference point of how we are to treat each other. Love one another. Why? Because I loved you and remembered you when you were slaves in Egypt. Treat each other the way I treat you. Why? Because I'm a God of justice who wants justice today. God's ongoing involvement of Israel comes back to the Red Sea, which challenges us to remember our Red Seas, to remember where God has saved us. You know, the brethren in Christ, we believe the salvation is a point and a process. And we know that biblically, but we also know that in our lives. We know that there's some of us who can point out to the day and time and where God saved us. And there's some of us who are just like, well, it was a process. But I think whether God saved you at a point or God saved you at a process, it's always helpful to remember where. This week, the Spirit reminded me of Freetown where God reminded me, I will always be there for you. The Spirit reminded me of Palisades Park, where God said, you are not alone, I am with you. The Spirit reminded me of Philadelphia, where God says, look, you are in my family. Look at your siblings all around you. We are family together. The Spirit reminded me of Grantham and Messiah College, where God says, you have a voice that I'm going to curate and I'm going to build up for my kingdom. And the Spirit reminded me of Harrisburg, where God taught me, it's not just your voice that I want, but it's your heart. I want all of you. I want your hopes and dreams. I want your skills and gifts and abilities. I want all that you are to be given back to me for my glory. The Spirit called me this week to remember where. So my first question for you this morning is, where is your where? Where is your Freetown or your Palisades Park or your Philadelphia or your Grantham or your Harrisburg? Where is your where that God has saved you, whether it was a point or a process? Where is your where? Because sisters and brothers, when we remember where God has saved us, we bear witness to Yahweh. We bear witness that our God is, that our God was, and that our God will be. And that same God is the God who's with us. We bear witness of Yahweh, but we also gift our world testimony of the work that God is doing. We bear testimony and gift our world that God has worked, that God is working, and that God will work. Remembering where helps us to give witness to Yahweh and to gift our world a testimony of what God is doing. You know, life is about facing the Red Seas. You know, there wasn't just, there was one Red Sea crossing, 
But there were so many moments that, that Israel went through to leave Egypt across the Red Sea to ever get to the promised land. And I've been thinking about how for all of us, these Red Seas are going to keep coming up. And the work for all of us is to let God lead us through. So no matter what Red Sea you're facing this morning, and your Red Sea might be a physical struggle, your Red Sea might be a spiritual struggle, might be an emotional struggle, it might even be a financial struggle, I want you to know that you can let God lead you through. Because there's a promised land waiting for you. And it's not just a future promised land. Because God wants you to know God's love, God's redeeming power, God's deliverance today. There's a promised land waiting for us. Yes, there's a devil that may be chasing us emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically. But let God lead you to the promised land. And the best way you can let God lead you to the promised land is the same thing that Moses told Israel. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Sisters and brothers, our God says, be still and know that I am God. And this morning, I want to echo the word of Moses to God's people, to you, my sisters and brothers, that our God, the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-knowing, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the master of all the universes, our God will fight for you. You only need to be still. You may be at the shores of your Red Sea. You may have the devils and the Egypt behind you, but God will part those waters. You will walk through on dry ground, and God will be your victory. Amen? Amen. God bless you all.